Tim Chalice once wrote that perhaps no area of discernment is more difficult and more controversial than the Christian's engagement with culture. And our guest today has delved into this very difficult question of the Christian and culture. Our guest today is Brian Gadawa. Brian is a screenwriter for the award-winning feature film To End All Wars, one of my favorite movies starring Kiefer Sutherland, and it was awarded the Best Picture of the Heartland Film Festival, and it was showcased in 2003 at the Keynes Film Festival Cinema for Peace. Brian has also worked on many other projects, and you can find all that information at gadawa.com, G-O-D-A-W-A.com. We'll be giving some of the websites throughout the show. Brian, thank you very much for joining us at Trinity Talk. Thanks for having me, guys. I, you can hear me, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Very delighted to have you with us, uh, Brian. Brian, these days I uh, rarely meet a Christian who has a life goal to work in Hollywood. Brian, would you please uh, tell us what was your journey to Hollywood and uh, what influenced you early on to pursue such a career as a screenwriter? Well, I think for myself, I, I've always been an artist, and so I've always loved uh, the Beauty. I've always loved beauty and creativity and communication. And becoming a Christian um, further strengthened my desire for truth. And when I was younger, I would, um, you know, even young as a Christian, I would, I, I always loved movies. I became a Christian and I start, and I kept going to movies. Uh, but I started seeing movies differently. I started seeing how they were, com you know, I read Francis Schaeffer and I became aware of the notion of worldview and how art communicates a worldview. So uh, I started beginning, I began to see movies differently. I began to see the messages and the worldviews that they were communicating. And, of course, most of them weren't Christian. And I would actually weep watching movies because I would see how powerful these movies were in communicating falsehoods. And sometimes there would also be truths, obviously. Um, it's a mixture of good and bad. But nonetheless, I would, I would cry because I would desire God's truth to be in, in movies because they were so effective on me, so influential on me, and I could see so in the world as well. Such that while sermons, for example, sermons have been very, um, have been like manna in my life in terms of, you know, constantly helping me at the moment, uh, there's very few sermons that I could remember, but there's many, many movies and stories that I will never forget. And so for me, I saw that storytelling, particularly in movies, was uh, one, um, a far more influential means of communicating truth to me than you know, didactic teaching or sermons. N not, you know, not suggesting that they're wrong, I'm just saying in terms of the influence. So because of that influence, I sought to get involved in that medium uh, because of its major influence. Brian, you are the author of Hollywood Worldviews, Watching Films with Wisdom and Discernment. In many Christian circles today, there is what you call in your book uh, cultural anorexics, and uh, it is not uncommon to find also what you call cultural gluttons. If you will, uh, Brian, can you define these terms for us, and can you give us sort of the sociology, the societal reasons why people take uh, such approaches to culture? Yeah, well, one of the reasons why I wrote the book, Hollywood Worldviews, was to help the church to appreciate movies more because of these two extremes that I kept running into. And the cultural anorexic is the person that I define as someone who, re who, who discerns uh, bad worldviews or you know, inappropriate sexuality or violence in movies and therefore throws out and doesn't go to any movies because movies are so full of sin or movies are, are predominantly bad in their influence. Therefore, I won't expose myself to any of them. 
and that is the person who's the cultural anorexic. They, or another term would be the isolationists or the segregationists in terms of culture. Uh-huh. Um, and then the other extreme would be those who are, you know, maybe more mature in their faith, or they understand liberal, uh, li- um, liberty in Christ, and they recognize that the world isn't perfect, and a movie is going to be a mixture of good and bad, and I can discern the good from the bad. Uh, actually, that's sort of more the, uh, the middle ground, I guess. Uh, forgive me. Uh, the other side is more the cultural glutton, the person who says, well, hey, uh, movies are just entertainment. They're, they're, not, they're not affecting me, so I can enjoy them, and they watch them without discerning. They don't uh, withhold themselves from anything. And the, that's the glutton who can be affected negatively by material that they're unaware of uh, because they're not being discerning as they watch movies. So the goal that I find in the Christian life in approaching this is very similar. It's similar to, to the goal of addressing culture in general. That is, we are in the world, not of it. We are salt and light. God, Christ did not tell us to leave the world and create our own Christian subculture. He said to be in the world, not of it, and to transform it. And the way you do that is by discerning what's good and bad, re- trying to reinforce the good, trying to uh, address the bad and negate it. Uh, and you do that in movies. Uh, by interacting with them, not by withdrawing from them. So that if you watch, you know, if, if you go to work at Monday morning at the water cooler and everyone's talking about the greatest big movie that's out, you know, whatever, whether it's District 9 or, you know, you name it, and you don't watch the movies, you can't interact with them and you can't give your two cents and you can't give your view of how, how as a Christian, how you would in, uh, interpret that and you can't bring redemption into the discussion because you're cut out of it. So that's one one way of uh, trying to interact with the culture redemptively. Right, you write in the beginning of your book that every story is informed by a worldview, which uh, goes with what you have just mentioned. Well, why why is that important for Christians to understand as they watch movies? Uh, well, because um, every movie, even not just the serious movie like a Schindler's List, but even the most you know raucous comedy like The Hangover or you know. Uh, <laughs> You know, you name it. They all do communicate values, of course, and values are part of the way you see the world ought to be or ought not to be. And uh-huh. so whether it's a romantic comedy or whether it's an action movie, even an empty action movie, or not an empty action movie, it could just be an action movie like District 9, they all have a way of perceiving the world, and that is embodied in the structure of storytelling. Now, the way that you will roughly go about that, I'll introduce you just briefly to a couple concepts I have in my book, but you want to you read more to find out more details, but basically most movies, all movies are going to have a hero, you know, the protagonist, that's the person whose main story it is, and uh, let, me, let me maybe use an example of, uh, let me use an example of a movie that's now on DVD so everyone can rent it, and okay. it's, it's basically positive towards Christianity, but it's not perfect, it's called Knowing. By, and yes. it stars Nicolas Cage, and it stars a he, Nicolas Cage is a is the hero, and he's a guy who's starting to discover these strange occurrences that are happening related to his son, and uh, he basically uh, is a scientist who does, does not have faith. He rejected the faith because he believes that science has disproved faith, and suffering in life, he lost his wife to cancer, has taken away his faith in God. But he's starting to discern that there's going to be a world-class cataclysmic event of a solar flare that's going to kill everybody on Earth, and he wants to try to escape it. So you, you find the hero in the story, 
and you and you you have to look closely in the beginning of the story. The first twenty minutes, you're going to see this hero has a view of life that is somewhat stilted. Even though we like them, even though we root for them, there's something not quite right. And of course, in knowing that that worldview is uh, science, he believes that chance, the world is reducible to chance. There is no ultimate goodness. There is no ultimate God because science shows everything's chance, and so there is no real determinism. God, there's no God determining in the future, right? So that's his worldview that he's driven by. Well, through the journey of the story, the hero is going to pursue something passionately. That's his goal. He's going to pursue something passionately, and that drives the story. And so most of the middle of the story is the hero trying to accomplish the goal, but he keeps facing obstacles that keep him from accomplishing the goal. So in this, in knowing, Nicolas Cage is trying to save his family, and particularly his kid, from this cataclysm that, that's going to happen. But he keeps coming up against these roadblocks of these strange beings that show, him, that show up, and he starts to realize there is no way out. The whole world's going to be destroyed, right? So he gets to the point near the end of your story that the hero realizes they're not going to accomplish what, they're gonna, what they wanted to get. They're not going to get their goal. They're faced with the fact that what they want in life is not what they need. And they face their fault or the way they see the world is wrong. So in this story, Nicolas Cage faces his doubt and renews his faith. And I'm not going to reveal all the details. I'm just going to give the hint that it's a spiritual reality that he discovers. And he realizes the fault in his life was he had a bad way of seeing the world that was not true, that there is a spiritual reality. Um, and uh, so when he faces that, he gets new, the hero gets renewed strength to face the, the villains or to face the adversary that's in the, in the story. And he gets renewed inner vigor to face that, that reality and overcome his, uh, and, and achieve his goal in a new way. Sometimes it might be by giving up the goal because the goal is not good. And in, in, in the movie Knowing, Nicolas Cage realizes that he was wrong all along and that, that science doesn't dis discern all reality, that there's something deeper to life and there's something deeper that's to his faith. And so roughly, that's, that's one rough way of looking at a movie. Look for the hero. Look for what they're trying to achieve. Look at how they see the world and, and try to see what is wrong with how they see the world realize that the journey of the hero is his discovery of that fault in the way he sees the world. And his redemption lies in whether or not he's going to under accept that, that um, challenge and change who he is by the end of the movie. And if you do change, that's called in classical language a, a comedy. It has a positive happy ending. If you don't change, that's a tragedy. It has a downer ending. Thus, you'll have a movie like Amadeus where the hero is Sal Salieri, who doesn't learn his lesson, and it ends up in a negative, you know, uh, a negative ending to the story. But most Hollywood movies, of course, have somewhat of a positive ending because the hero learns his lesson. Brian, uh, Jared, Richie here. Thanks so much for being on with us today. I wanted to follow up uh, with what you were just saying with, uh, and have you tell our listeners a few things that they should, especially... Uh, take note of before they go in and watch a movie in the theater or before they hit play on the DVD or the Blu-ray disc player, um, before they even start it, uh, following up, knowing the elements of the story and all, but what, what does the Christian need to do before, your opinion, before they even start the movie? Well, a couple things is, one, I think we need to educate ourselves on worldviews. 
my book, of course, does introduce you to some basics of worldviews and how they are in movies. So obviously, buy my book, and, and it's been updated and revised. So it's it's um, you know it's been around for years, but it's been updated and revised, so it's really up to date. But also, you know, you might want to buy a book like. Uh, the Universe Next Door by James Sire, which is a real basic catalog of worldviews. And I say that because it's by knowing the truth and knowing these, these various worldviews that helps you to spot them. And not just in movies, but in television, not just in television and music, but in your everyday life when you're talking to a person and they're starting to speak about what they believe, you'll be able to discern worldviews. So educate yourself in worldviews. And secondly... You know, I would say educate yourself in, in, in movies. Uh, again, my book will help you to understand the story structure so you can discern it when you're watching a movie. For example, if you want to learn something about symphonies and orchestras and you take a music appreciation class, why do you do that? You do that because you want to learn the basics of music so you can appreciate music better. Storytelling is the same way. You, you learn about movies and stories, and then you're able to discern when you're watching a movie. It'll give you discernment. You'll be able to appreciate, learn, the, see the good from the bad so that you can receive the good and reject the bad. And I say that because no movie's perfect, just like no, you know, no sermon's perfect. You, know? you have to be able to learn that discernment. And in your discernment is what enables you to protect you from being manipulated by a bad worldview. Uh, let me give one conclusion, uh, a caveat to that movie, Knowing. Yes, the movie Knowing, I just talked to you about all these Christian elements, and it has a very strong Christian underlying theme. Well, it also is mixed in with a humanistic view of the universe, which I will only say this, that it, it gives the suggestion that, that maybe uh, what we perceive as supernatural beings of angels might be aliens, right? So I'll, I'll give that away so, only so much. But it's not real strong. It's a little ambiguous, because sometimes art prefers the ambiguous so that different people see their own views in the story. But all I'm suggesting is that that's how I can watch the movie and appreciate the positive spiritual element, but also discern, oh, look, there's a little humanistic element here that they've thrown in, and here's where I disagree with that, but here's where I think that you know, it's, it's positive. So that's you know, educating yourself on worldviews and educating yourself on storytelling um, are, are, is a way to be able to then watch movies with wisdom and discernment. And Brian, um, as, as a, as something that, that reminded me when you were talking, and you've been exposed to so many movies, you've watched so many of them, um, you mentioned Amadeus and how Salieri, um, we see the lessons he learns in the movie, but talk about how, if you would, uh, what your experience has been with the lack of use by Christians, say, and what I guess for me not knowing a better way to describe it is a negative parable, a movie that shows a life lesson by someone failing and therefore shows the audience what not to do. Talk about, it seems, or is it just me or is there an overemphasis on happy fairy tale stories that Christians and non-Christians seem to see through? Does that make sense there? Yeah. Well, I think it, what, you're, what you're addressing is the per, a perennial issue for history of, of movies, and that is happy endings and downer endings. And, you know, different reactions at different times in history, people react against that positive ending. Oh, that's not life. That's not reality. Creates a fantasy world, blah, blah, blah. 
But then the downer endings is like, oh, that's communicating the view that, that there is no meaning in life and, and, and everything is despair, which we disagree with. I think the proper way to understand it is that movies are not reality. Movies are more, it's really better to see them as parables, which means they're stories about the way reality should be or the way reality shouldn't be. Therefore, a movie like Amadeus is a very positive movie because it's a story of a man, Salieri, who sees God gifting Mozart, who is a, 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 an unbelieving you know, uh, infidel, right? And, but he's blessed with this beauty of music. Salieri, as a Christian, wants to glorify God, but he becomes so bitter because he cannot accept the fact that God did not bless him with the greatness that he blessed Mozart. And in his pride, Salieri decides... Well, God's just not fair because I don't like the way God chose to, 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 to you know, ferret out life. Therefore, I'm going to fight against God and try to destroy Mozart in my revenge against God. And the moral message of that parable is you can't fight against God and win. Why? Because Salieri fights against God, but he doesn't win, and it drives him to insanity because you can't win against God. So that's a positive moral message by showing what happens in the end. But really, if you look, if you look at the parables of Jesus or, or many parables uh, or many stories in, in, in the prophets, a lot of them are negative downer endings because they're showing you you don't want to live life this way. You want to live life the other way. So a tragedy can have positive purposes. But you can also have a movie with a de negative ending that is actually suggesting that there is no meaning in life. So my point is that you can have a sad ending, but it, depending on the context, and that's the all-important thing, folks, context. Depending on the context is what determines whether or not it's positive or negative. So like a movie like Woody Allen, uh, Match Point, which is very nihilistic, it's very Nietzschean, his view is that there is no ultimate absolute morality, therefore you can get away with evil and, and you can get away with crime, because there's really, there's, you can wipe it from your conscience. That's a very downer ending, but he believes that that's true. So that's a really negative movie with a, with a negative ending. So it all depends on the context. We're speaking with Mr. Brian Gadawa, the author of Hollywood Worldviews, watching films with wisdom and discernment. You can also go to hollywoodworldviews.com. You can access his uh, Facebook group and also some additional reading and a movie blog that he keeps up. Brian, uh, some of our listeners at BTR and elsewhere have probably heard of the name Francis Schaefer. You mentioned his name earlier. Schaefer, as you know, was extraordinary in pointing out the presuppositions of uh, different cultural expressions. You focus on several philosophical presuppositions of uh, movies in your book. One of them is the idea of existentialism. Can you define that term for us? Can you give us sort of an example of that in a particular movie that you can think of? Sure, sure. I'll, I'll use the biggest example of all because everyone's seen it. Um, existentialism is very common still to this day in a lot of Hollywood movies. And, 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 and by the way, a lot of writers are very educated on philosophy. So they're not just writing this without knowing it. They know they, they're existentialists. Um, existentialism you know, in a simplistic, rough version, it's the belief that there, that, that there, there are no external, transcendent absolutes or reality. There is no, ultimately, there is no God. But there is no ultimate, absolute reality. We just exist. We first exist in the world, 
and then there's no essence to what we are. If, if, if there's an essence to who we are or what we are, then that means there's a transcendent standard, right? But there is no essence. We just exist, and then we have to create our own essence. We have to create our own reality, or we have to create our own truth. And so, therefore, uh, morals and, and, and those kinds of things are something that we create to give ourselves meaning because there is no meaning. There's no ultimate, and so therefore man is, is ultimately condemned to be free, as John Paul Sartre said. Meaning, you know, yeah, you could see it as a condemnation because there's no meaning and purposelessness, but the freedom that we have is our freedom to create who we are and what we are. In a sense, we become our own gods, little g, right? So that's, you know, and therefore life is very much about freedom, freedom from rules, freedom from morals, freedom from... You know, everyone, society's pressures upon us. These are all external things that are oppressive to us because the only reality is what we ourselves create. So that's a philosophical means of expressing it. What that results in is an emphasis on my own personal feelings and my own personal uh, following my heart. Don't follow the rules of society, follow your heart, uh, be free from the norms and, and follow your passion, all right, that kind of a thing. So the movie Titanic, which you know everyone in the world saw, that's a classic movie and it's deliberately existentialist. You've got the heroes of the story are Rose and Jack. Rose is the woman who's a, who's a slave of the oppressive traditional Christian society that has all these rules, and it's also aristocratic, right? You have all these rules of decorum and how you're supposed to behave and all this kind of stuff, and she's trapped by it because it's, you know, she's trapped by the patriarchy, you know, male rule and all this kind of stuff. Along comes Jack, this freewheeling artist who's free from all rules. He does what he wants. He doesn't have money, but he's free. He's like a tumbleweed. And all throughout the movie, you'll see expressions of just follow your heart, close your eyes, don't trust in reason, don't trust in logic. So this, this is an existentialist view that says, follow your heart, don't follow rules and don't follow logic. And, uh, of course, by the end of the movie, he, Jack frees Rose from her oppressive society when she realizes that she'd rather have death with freedom than be a slave to society's norms. Does that make sense? So that's, that's and, that, and that's partially true, by the way. All, all philosophies are partially true. But, of course, outside of the context of God, they're going to ultimately reject truth. But there is some truth to that, because we as Christians would agree society can sometimes be oppressive if it has false morals. But we believe there are true, absolute morals that of the, in the Bible that if society follows those, it will be appropriate. One of which would be, Oh, say, child molesting. We believe child molesters in the Bible should be executed. So, you know, uh, child molesters, uh, which everyone agrees is evil, but the Christian foundation for that system believes that they should be, it should be illegal and it's wrong, which is oppressive to the child molester. But if you are consistent with existentialism, you would have to say no. Child molester is following his heart, and he's following what makes him feel good. So who are we to oppress him with rules and morals? So you see how uh, it can lead, uh, existentialism, of course, leads to uh, grave self-destruction. 
Brian, let me let me carry on this conversation to a more uh, to a controversial dimension of this topic of the Christian and movies. Is uh, I, I, it seems that there's a new interest in Hollywood on spirituality these days. You mentioned the movie uh, Knowing, and I could uh, another similar move would be the movie uh, Signs with Mel Gibson. Let me ask you this question: There are some in within the, in the Christian side of things who would simply despise Hollywood movies and believe that uh, the Christian world ought to produce its own movies. What are your thoughts, uh, Brian, on this new market of Christian movies and that particular uh, philosophy? And also, if you can comment on the uh, probably one of the most recent movies, the movie Fireproof, which uh, I believe you probably have seen that movie. Can you comment on some of these aspects? Sure, sure. You're, you know, um, and you know, you mentioned you're Kuiperian, so you guys are very in tune with this, of course. And I, I forget in the technical terms, but basically, um, yeah, there's, there's, uh, I think that there's, there's a room, there's room in the body of Christ for all different approaches, uh, because different people are made with different gifts and made in different psychologies, and they can't. Some people can handle things that others can't. But by and large, the viewpoint is isolationist or, um, uh, anyway, that's what I call it, an isolationist. And an isolationist is a person who believes that we must, they're, they're, they stress holiness. They stress there's too much compromise, too much immorality going on within, say, Hollywood or movie making. So we should create our own separate culture of Christian movies that follow our own values and try to get our own distribution and all this. And while I believe there's a place for working outside the system, because I actually, I'm an independent filmmaker, so technically I am, I do work outside the system, uh, uh-huh. but I'm more in Hollywood. But then there's the integrationist or the reform viewpoint, and which believes that, no, you have to reform culture you, by being involved in it. You're not going to reform it by getting away from it. You get involved in it and change it from within. And, and that's the view that I am, that I mostly am. But like I said, there's room for different levels of independence from that system. So I'm not saying there's, it's one or the other. So there's room for all these. But I do tend to think that the isolationist position is a little bit too far on the other extreme of the spectrum where um, what happens is they think they're going to create their separate system that's holy and of quality and excellence and all this, but all too often, unfortunately, what they end up creating is propaganda that really only true believers believe and like, and, and unbelievers don't, don't tend to listen. So they're not going to really influence the world. And secondly, at least historically, they're, they're almost always um, of less quality and excellence, and I believe that if you read the Bible, the Old Testament, particularly when God's building the tabernacle, you read, look up on the, about the artist Bezalel, you'll find that God does value excellence as highly as he values content. The problem is the isolationists value content over excellence. Therefore, they tend to subgrade their quality, and you get all these cheesy, bad Christian movies. Now, I'm not going to... I'm not going to name names because I want to affirm my brothers in Christ and I want them to make better movies and they are getting better. So I'm not going to sit here and, and point fingers and name, here's bad movies. But I'm just saying in general that's what they tend to create. And the reason why is because they, they do stress uh, content over style. And the other side is when you stress style over content. And, and I'm certainly not suggesting that either. Um, so movies like Fireproof and stuff, I think that you know there's there might be a place for them because some Christians you know 
prefer those kind of movies, but I don't think they're going to be as effective in in terms of affecting the culture or uh, a, you know addressing cr- uh, non-believers. But also, honestly, at myself, I watch some of these Christian movies, and I I'm offended by some of them because they're very modernistic. They're very much culturally driven. You know, for instance, you know, it, the, it tends to have a view of the four spiritual laws, and you have to have a conversion scene where the person in the church prays to receive Jesus as his personal Lord and Savior. And what many Christians don't realize is that's not inherently wrong, but it is a culturally prejudiced view of the gospel, which is really not necessarily biblical. It's a way that some people have applied the Bible to the culture, but I don't even think it's necessarily biblical and certainly not relevant to many postmoderns. So for me, as a, as a Christian who's neither modern or postmodern, I don't necessarily see the Christianity there. It doesn't relate to me because I, I apply the Bible in a, in a different way. And so that's, that's sort of the issues that, that I struggle with. You know, um, I encourage Christians uh, in, in making their Christian movies but I want to encourage them to, to stress more excellence and try to, be, try to recognize that your version of Christianity is very culturally derived, and you've got to be aware of that. Very helpful. Uh, Brian, Brian, we have uh, about ten minutes remaining in our show. You have uh, watched probably thousands of movies in your lifetime. Can you uh, give me your top five, and uh, if you give me a brief reasons for each one of them, I'd be very, very curious to hear those. Sure, sure. Well, um, I know this is going to sound uh, sound uh, egotistical, but it really isn't. Twendo Wars is really probably one of my favorite movies of all time. It's one of it's one of my favorites too, Brian. By the way, yeah, and uh, um, because I, you know, but I mean that that has much to do with everybody else who made that movie. It's not just about me, um, but uh, Twendo Wars because it really shows grace and forgiveness in the context of evil, and it struggles wrestles with uh, moral issues of. What does it mean to love your neighbor, lo- love yourself, love your neighbor, and love your enemy, which is, to me, the, the most difficult issue that I still struggle with in life. So uh, it challenges me in my own life. Secondly, yeah, and these aren't like one, two, three, four, five. It's all kind of a mixture, but Chariots of Fire is my classic all-time. That was the movie that got me into movies. That's the movie that, I, when I saw that movie in 1981, I said, okay, it can be done. You can have, exp- you can have a Christian worldview that's, a muscular Christianity that shows Christianity in a way that's real and not kooky and corny and Christiany, but it's real and it applies to life. Uh, and Braveheart to me is one of my all times because not only is it about political freedom that I think is is mostly biblical, but also it was written by a Christian and as a matter of fact, it is a metaphor for the gospel itself. If you look closely huh. there, it's a lot about uh, freedom is 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 only achieved through self-sacrifice and shedding of blood, not just on a political, real-world level, but also in the spiritual level. But also, another movie that many people don't know about is The Addiction. The Addiction is a black-and-white vampire movie, believe it or not, and it's an art house film, so it's not very... It's not got a good story. A lot of people won't like those art house films, but it uses vampirism in the means ways that it was originally i think originally created in the victorian period that is vampirism is a, literally in the movie is a metaphor for total depravity and it's about it's a sin, it's an aspect of sinful nature and there's christian redemption in the film but it's not cheesy and and it's it's not for the weak of stomach though cuz it is a vampire movie but i think that that's a great a great one 
And then, you know, I'll, I'll pick another one. I mean, obviously, the Passion of the Christ is up there, but let me pick another one that isn't in the same male vein uh, okay. of movies, and that is Sense and Sensibility. Sense and Sensibility, Jane Austen, I love all, I mean, I could put them all up there. Pride and Prejudice, I can put them all up there. Emma. But Sense and Sensibility was particularly good because it's a movie about what it means to love. And, and it, it's, it compares two different people, you know, an, a, a woman who's seeking the romance of life, you know, oh, the dashing young man that, that gives me a romantic experience. You know, she follows her heart, and she gets deceived by it. And then the elderly sister who is more mature about love and realizes, no, love is about, you know, um, giving and about sacrificing for the other and waiting and all that kind of stuff. And, and she is, of course, the example of what true Christian love is all about. So that's a movie that deals with romance in a very biblical way that I think is very encouraging. And, and by the way, you guys, if you don't appreciate chick flicks, you're missing out on a lot of, of uh, truth and, and beauty and um, powerful storytelling because uh, movies like Sense and Sensibility are uh, just wonderful and, and powerful stories. Well, my wife would appreciate that observation, Brian. <laughs> yes, and we're finishing up today with uh, a very fascinating and interesting topic here with you, Brian. I appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to join us today, but I wanted to throw something else your way, and that is the question I'm sure you probably get asked a lot with the technology being what it is today. Any person can pick up a camera, and you did talk about quality um, and how the world uh, can see through quality uh, or propaganda heavy content or uh, maybe content heavy but quality light how, how what would you advise young budding filmmakers and screenwriters like yourself how to engage Christians out there what, what do they need to do as young people maybe as middle-aged people as a hobby on the side what what would be your advice I'm sure you get asked this a good bit Wow well first of all a, a few things one is uh, stop seeing Hollywood as a Sodom and Gomorrah to flee from, uh, praying that God will destroy it. That is a very unchristian, non-New Testament view. You've got to see Hollywood as a group, an unreached people group, that a mission field of unreached people groups, because Hollywood people are like natives in the jungle that are so cut off from the rest of the world they don't even realize what's going on in the real world, right? They need to be educated. They don't know about the Bible or anything, which means going into Hollywood to try to change lives, but also getting involved in the Hollywood you know, system as much as possible. So stop, you know, changing your viewpoint of how you see that world and have a more of a reforming view of culture rather than a retreating view of culture. Secondly, um, I would say... Uh, one of the things I find is that artists tend to not be as theologically strong in their understanding of God because they're keyed into the aesthetic, the beauty, the emotion, which is all good. It's part of our humanity. But they tend to, to shy away from the intellectual and from the doctrinal, so they're often weak. So I say if you're an artist, yes, go to school, learn about filmmaking, try to come to Hollywood, but also try to develop your theology and get it orthodox and in line with the Bible because, you know, the reality is, is, is what I've seen Christians make movies with, with non-Christian theology and they didn't really even realize it because they just not, they're not theologically strong. And let me give an example. One ministry out here that I've been a part of for years is called Arts and Entertainment Ministries. Of course, you can find that artsandentertainmentministries.com. 
and uh, led by Joel and Michelle Palsu. And they, they really seek to educate the artist to have a strong theology so they create out of that orthodoxy and create beauty. But also they try to educate the church to be more appreciative of the arts because we've often neglected it. So, you know, um, yeah, develop both your intellect, your mind, and your doctrine, theology, as well as the, the beauty. Again, these are equally ultimate. And, um, and support those arts. I would recommend going to see movies that you hear, like when the movie Bella comes out, or when The Passion of Christ came out, that was the easy one, uh, or when you hear about knowing, or when you hear about a movie that might have a positive traditional moral values or a positive Christian worldview or something like that, go see those movies because that's the only way more movies will be made is if it makes money at the box office. See, the more money that, that those movies make, the more that will be made because they realize there's money in those movies. See? So you've got to go see those and rent the movies, but mostly try to go see them opening weekend because that's what determines the success of a movie. So if you hear a movie's coming out, and you read a little bit of reviews ahead of time to find out that, oh, you know, like I heard, I heard the proposal, uh, romantic comedy has a positive, uh, a non-feministic view of, of romance, and, you know, uh, so go try to hit it on, on opening weekend if you can, or at least in the, in the following weeks. Cause it's, Brian. Oh, go ahead. I'm done. Well, thank, thank you. Brian, in the last two minutes we have for you, let me ask you one final significant question that is probably raised very frequently by Christian parents. Brian, you deal this with in your book, but what about sex, violence, and language in Hollywood movies? Uh, briefly, can you, um, can you tell us how Christians ought to react to these type of movies? Yeah, well, it's a complex one, and really you, got, you should get the book because I go into it in depth, in depth. It's a very important issue, and it should be dealt with, and there is far too much sex, violence, and profanity in movies. However, uh, the existence of that stuff in movies is not unbiblical because the Bible is full of sex, violence, and profanity. And I chronicle that in Hollywood worldviews. Um, so the point is, is not whether or not whether it's there. The point is, is context. How is it dealt with? So you have to really consider things like the intent of it. You know, is this intending to exploit? You know, is a movie about adultery intending to titillate you and make you want to have adultery, or is it a moral tale showing you, like the Book of Proverbs, chapter seven? Is it showing you? Oh, adultery leads to destruction, so don't go down that path, like the movie you know, Fatal Attraction or Unfaithful, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, but also, you, know, you have to draw your limits on how much of this you're willing to accept before you fast forward, walk out of the theater, whatever, because sadly, you can have a movie dealing with sexuality honestly, but it might go too far and show too much for you. Uh, and, and you need to be willing to also discuss with other people their opinions and their reactions because you might find something, uh, with, no matter what side you're on, you might find, oh, I hadn't considered that thought. Maybe I wouldn't watch that movie next time. Or, oh, they make a good point. Maybe I was reacting too strongly, and I realized that maybe there should, should be, could be some good in the way they deal with sex, violence, or profanity. But most of all, you just have to draw biblical, as best you can, guidelines based on the Bible. But you have to realize that context is what determines it. You can have a movie that's violent, like Kill Bill, Kill Bill, right? And it's grotesque and exploitative because it's all about showing people being killed for entertainment's sake. Or you can have a movie that's just as violent as Kill Bill, like Schindler's List, but you should see that movie because that is a movie that reveals the atrocities of the Holocaust that people need to be educated about, and it repulses you to that violence. 
So two violent movies, just as violent, the context can determine whether or not it's biblical. The book is Hollywood Worldviews, Watching Films with Wisdom and Discernment. Our guest this afternoon has been Mr. Brian Gadawa. We'll place all his links on our website, blogtalkradio.com slash trinitytalk. Brian, it's been a real privilege to have you here with us this afternoon. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, guys. Yes, and Brian, we, we will definitely put links to your show on our site so that people who might not have heard of uh, some of these websites will, will be able to go and reach them. Thanks so much for, for joining us today, and we do uh, thank you guys for listening. In our final uh, few moments here, we'll just stress that uh, artsandentertainmentministries.com, gadawa.com, and hollywoodworldviews.com are, are some of the sites you can go to and, and find Brian's book. We highly commend that to you. Thanks so much for being with us again on this episode of Trinity Talk, and we do encourage you to walk in the ways of the Lord and strive to grow more and more in the knowledge of Christ. Please join us again next Monday, uh, and we'll be back with you with another show. Uh, that is, of course, the beauty of this show. We try to bring both sides of the equation with a pastor and a layman, a theologian and an artist, even from your host perspective. That's how you could qualify us. So the beauty of Trinity Talk. Thanks so much for joining us this week. We do appreciate you listening and leave us your comments and uh, any feedback that you might have on the show page and Lord willing we'll see you next time thank you so much bye bye and now insurance minded speeches from Geico hardship my grandmother would go through it every month to pay her insurance bill. First, she would handwrite a paper check, in cursive. Then, using her own tongue, she would wet a stamp for an envelope. Today, however, we need not weary our hands and tongues. Today, we can pay our GEICO bill with the GEICO app. Away with hardship, in with bill pay on the GEICO app. Thank you.